0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. This is Asian Insider, and I'm Nirmal Khosh. Now, less than a month from the 20th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks on the United States, the Taliban, who gave shelter to the perpetrators of those attacks, and was thrown out of power by a retaliatory American invasion has roared back to power in Afghanistan, and the United States is engaged right now in a humiliating scramble for the exit. Every day now, we are already awash with post-mortem reports. Books will be written about this. But today on Asian Insider, we want to move beyond those post-mortems and examine what the implications are for the region given that Taliban rule is a fate complete. Now, broadly speaking, the Taliban's resurgence is a win for Pakistan's security establishment, which has all these years kept the Taliban in play. That has been no secret at all. It has been a reverse for India's neighborhood strategy. India sees a Taliban-controlled Afghanistan as once again a partner to Pakistan. We will go into that in a moment. But there are other major powers in the region as well, not least China and Russia, and not to forget Iran. China, in fact, very recently met with a Taliban delegation. Now, to examine these ramifications going forward, I am pleased to welcome to Asian Insider Dr. Christine Fair, who is Associate Professor in the Security Studies Program at the Edmund A. Walsh School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University here in DC. And on the line from New York, I believe, is Prakhar Sharma, a political analyst who has studied Afghanistan for 15 years and lived in Afghanistan for a number of years until 2016. Thank you both. I know it is a very, very exceptionally busy time. Thank you both, Dr. Fair, Prakar Sharma, for joining me on Asian Inside today.
1: Thank you for having us. And can I just tell you congrats for bringing Prakar Sharma on the show. He is an undervalued asset in this discussion.
0: So and I, I believe, say, so I believe.
2: No, thank you, Dr. Fair. It's a privilege to be on the show with you.
1: It's a privilege to be with you.
0: Thank you both. Anyway, so obviously there are no simple answers, but let's start perhaps with India and its relations with China and the United States. Does this eventually drive India and the United States closer as the Taliban reach a pragmatic accommodation perhaps with China? Dr. Fair, could you unpack this a bit? What do you see as likely going forward?
1: All right. So that's a really big question, given our, our limited uh, time. It is. So I'm, I'm just going to focus um, really on, I guess, what we could call a, an emboldened China, right? What we've seen in the last few years, particularly during the period of COVID, China's taken advantage of the lethargy that other countries have exhibited dealing with the various domestic crises related to this pandemic. We see that at the height of the crisis of the pandemic, China was very busy revising borders with India and, I mean, literally using force to change the territorial disposition of the line of actual control. So I I think while the world was trying to figure out You know, what is our future going to look like in this pandemic? You know, the Chinese, they just kept forging along. I've seen a lot of Western commentators really exhibit an appalling display of ignorance about the history of the Chinese-Taliban relations. If you go back to the pre-9-11 period, you'll see that the Chinese actually had a memorandum of understanding with the Chinese. The Chinese actually provided what was um, passably the information technological infrastructure in Afghanistan. They were providing various kinds of support. And the Chinese were even on the eve of signing a memorandum of understanding with Osama bin Laden himself prior to 9-11. So, in fact, you can, if anyone has any doubts about this, you can go back and look at Osama bin Laden's various proclamations. He never once criticized China, even though by the time 2011, you know, September 11th, 2011 had happened, 2001 had happened, excuse me, the Chinese were already busy genociding not only the Uyghurs, but but other Muslims as well. So this is actually a really old story And I think one of the reasons why the Chinese were, along with the Russians, very early normalizers of the Taliban is that if you look at that Chabahar port, right, which they've poured a lot of money into, Chabahar only makes sense as a economic ground line of communication if you don't have to travel through uh, the port in Karachi. Because right now everything comes into uh, Chabahar, it goes east to Karachi and then it goes north and upward. So for that to And tr- India
0: was also a major investor in Chabahar.
1: I, I didn't mean Chabahar, I meant Guadar, sorry. <laughs> yes, India was yeah, a know, very major. I was major wondering about that. In, yes. the, competitor, yeah. in the competitive cor- uh, port at Chabahar. So things come into Guadar. Yeah, so which you're is talking, a- about Gwadar, yes. talking about Guadar. I'm talking about Guadar, right? So things come into Guadar, they go east to Karachi and then they travel up and they pass at Torcom. So for Guadar to be truly um, an economically viable uh, Deep Sea Port for the Chinese. It actually has to the G have to go from Gwadar through Balochistan and then onto the Ring Road, right? So that's a serious bonus for China. And the other issues, I'm sure Prakar knows, um, because he spent so much time in the country. China is the this the largest uh, single country investor in Afghanistan, in particular. I'm talking about the Anak copper mine, but it can't benefit from those investments until it gets the resources out of the ground into the market. And this, reg- this requires a stable Afghanistan. So China doesn't care about human rights. China doesn't care who's in charge. China doesn't care if women are getting abused and um, young girls are being married off and young boys are sodomized because that's what, how the Taliban roll. What the Chinese care about is stability and being able to connect um, Afghanistan uh, to their various pipe dreams in Pakistan.
0: Right. Okay. So so just, just a quick interjection before I go on to Prakash uh, Prakar Sharma, your thoughts on that as well. So yeah, uh, just for the benefit of people who are listening to this, Gwadar is in Pakistan and, and invested in by the Chinese. And Chabahar is in Iran and India is a major invest, uh, investor in Chabahar. So these are the two strategic Yeah, but,
1: but also thoughts. the Chinese are in Chabahar. Yeah, too. The Chinese are also in Chabahar. Right, so the problem with India's investments in Chabahar is that for too long the Indians kind of um, how how to put this nicely in a way that won't offend Indian viewers accommodated U.S. interests. Right, so um, the what ended up happening is the Indian investments in Chabahar were highly restricted to just a few berths. And the Iranians basically said, look, we're willing to go with China if you can't get your crap together. And so unfortunately, because the Indians decided to, you know, to accommodate U.S. interests, which I thought was an enormous mistake on the part of the Indians, the Chinese were also able to swoop in and take a dominating position in Chabahar.
0: Okay, Prakar, your thoughts on all that. That's a lot to unpack. But tell me your thoughts on the same question. What do you see uh, in terms of regional dynamics going forward?
2: So I agree with what Dr. Fair said. And just to give you a context, in 2011, when China invested in the Aynak copper mine, they very soon realized that it's a nightmare for them to extract any minerals out of Afghanistan in the middle of a war. So Dr. Fair is right in the assumption that uh, China would prefer a stable Afghanistan under Taliban than an unstable Afghanistan, which is still trying to negotiate its national unity. Uh, China doesn't care about... Uh, the nature of politics in Afghanistan, as long as it offers the stability that China needs to extract the mineral resources out of Afghanistan. I also think that um, among other countries in the region, uh, China has perhaps taken the most dramatic position in engaging the Taliban. India has been quite skeptical about it. Uh, Iran has moved back and forward on that. Uh, Russia has also changed its position a couple of times in the last five years. China has been consistently, at least over the last four years, uh, been advocating that we need to engage with this regime. If you see even now, the Chinese embassy is still open in Kabul, as is the Russian embassy, while most of their embassies have packed up.
0: So going back to my original question, does this inevitably drive India and the US into a slightly deeper embrace? Prakar, you first on that?
2: Um, I don't think that the U.S.-India positions in Afghanistan align as closely as the two countries make it out to be. Because India sees Afghanistan strictly from a Pakistan perspective, whereas U.S. doesn't, despite all the evidence that Pakistan has been the major, perhaps the preeminent spoiler, in Afghanistan's national development. Uh, So um, I think the policies haven't aligned that closely on it. Now, will that... Will the onset of Taliban in, in Afghanistan uh, change that? I, I really doubt because uh, there is very little appetite, especially in this administration, to do much about Afghanistan. Uh, from Indian perspective, I can speculate that uh, India would be waiting and watching whether Taliban recalibrate their posture, whether they demonstrate some sort of autonomy from Pakistan, but short of that, I think India would just have to wait and see if there's any room for um, n- new entry into Afghanistan, either through enabling resistance against Taliban, which I don't think would last too long, or uh, expecting some sort of fragmentation within the Taliban.
0: This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us. And now back to our podcast episode. Dr. Fair, in a sort of cold-blooded analysis, of course, Afghanistan does matter less to the US unless there is terrorism coming out of there, as it has before, less important than Pakistan. In fact, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was President Biden when he was a senator some time ago, I think um, he told, he apparently told Afghanistan's then President Hamid Karzai that Pakistan was 50 times more important than Afghanistan. What are your thoughts on this?
1: So it's complicated, right? Because you know that, I mean, I've generally been a lone voice for the last 17 years arguing that we're losing in Afghanistan because of Pakistan. And if you really care about international terrorism, if you care about nuclear proliferation, you need to stop being compelled by Pakistan. So it, it's since I don't fundamentally understand the American inability to comprehend the fact that the United States is single-handedly, well, that's not true, along with the British, making Pakistan more dangerous. I'm not in a capacity to explain why that is. I mean, I, I, I've I, literally cried myself hoarse. I, I took like a two-year hiatus in writing op-eds because I just was exhausted with explaining the obvious to people who offered various excuses. But what I think the Pakistanis have been very effective at doing is convincing the world that they are too dangerous to fail, right? This is why they haven't been put on the FATF blacklist because the blacklist designation will deprive them of access to IMF. And here's my prediction, okay? I've been wrong about some things, but I've definitely been right about when the United States comes to al-Bakistan. With our embassy gone, We are going to be more dependent upon the Pakistanis than ever to get intelligence about what's happening in Afghanistan. We are going to seek to rent their acquiescence to possibly be able to base drones from Afghanistan. They're going to exploit that vulnerability. They're going to give us misinformation, all the stuff that the Pakistanis are notorious for doing. So... Whereas uh, if we were to look at this rationally, right, taking aside the American strategic cultural approach to Pakistan, we would say that rolling down our footprint in Afghanistan would make us less dependent upon Pakistan. Therefore, we might be able to consider sensible things that I've been arguing for for 17 years, like sanctions. No, no, that's not what's going to happen. We're going to hunker down. It's sort of like a a woman who's abused by her husband. No one else understands her except her abuser. And so she keeps going back to him. I also think the Pakistanis are the maestros of writing rent-seeking narratives. And the Americans are such historical ignoramuses that they fall for it all the time. Here's my prediction. Pakistan is going to say, oh, my goodness, poor, poor Pakistan. The Americans have left a total disaster on our borders. And we are going to need more money to kill terrorists. And the Washington crowd is gonna be like, oh my God, that's totally true. We have completely abandoned Pakistan. They have all these terrorists to kill and we have to give them money. And then Pakistan is also going to uh, be rewarded for being the fireman in the fire that it started, is gonna argue that, oh, we need to have international support for all these Afghan refugees that are like besieging us, right? This has been the, I mean, I can't even say this without you know mockery in my voice. Because this is what Pakistan does time and time again. And the expletive deleted, out of reference to you, Mr. Ghosh, uh, the United States falls for it every expletive deleted time.
0: So basically not much change, but we're looking at an evolving loose sort of accommodation between Pakistan, uh, Taliban regime in Afghanistan and China, right? Which is, and, and then you have India, Again, back to my question, does India, do India and the U.S. get a little closer because of this? Inevitably, willy-nilly. And India is, remember, part of the quad if we sort of venture further away. So in um, America and India have these. Don't get
1: me started. Don't get me started mocking the shortcomings okay. of the Quad. That's okay. a whole other but, but, discussion but, in touchy mud. But, but, US, be here but for the
0: U.S. India relationship. <laughs> do you think it uh, might? Although there is sort of widespread disappointment at this uh, um, uh, fiasco in Afghanistan, do you think that in strategic terms the U.S. India relationship will become will solidify going forward uh, in terms of especially the overall threat, which is the real threat. From you know the U.S.'s point of view, which is China, I mean the President Biden has said that you know we have to focus on China.
1: All right, so I mean I'm I'm a pessimist, right? So I've always been a pessimist. There's there's two problems with that proposition. One, the United States has actually been quite derelict in keeping up with the, the various kinds of threats that China poses. We really don't have a credible way of compelling, uh, excuse me, China uh, to stop trying to forcefully change borders, whether it's with India, whether it's uh, with respect to making islands and weaponizing them in the South China Sea, whether it's respect to cybersecurity or, quite frankly, naval control. The United States, I mean, it's really abdicated for a variety of reasons. But much of what the u.s india relationship was predicated on was this belief that over time india was going to be a major military actor and this has been going on for 20 years really going back to president um clinton the husband not the wife unfortunately um it was his big idea that this was going to be an important partner it was hobbled because of india's commitments to um its nuclear program, and Bush took it forward. But what we've really seen in these past 20 years is that India hasn't made the significant de- defense reforms that would make India a significant player. Even Modi, even though you know I, I have no tolerance for his communal nonsense, he did try to argue to Indians, at least, and to his international partners that he really wants to adopt a harder-nosed, realist foreign policy that requires significant de- defense modernizations and, and instead he's largely squandered his political capital on ridiculous communal projects such as the Ram Mandir. Ram Mundir excuse me and what we really needed him to be doing was making serious defense equipment investments we needed him to begin right-sizing the Indian army which is obviously very difficult to do given the the political, Problems that that would engender. But if someone with the ostensible political mandate of Modi cannot make those reforms happen, what are the prospects for um, a future government that has to rely upon shaky coalitions? And there's, I can tell you, there's a lot of resentment in Washington, D.C. Um, people I know quite well in the Trump administration that moved heaven and earth to make it possible for India to buy armed drones. This wasn't something that was trivial and India basically rubbished that, saying it was too expensive. So, you know, India's kind of taxing the patience of Americans. India says we're important. India says we're going to be important. India keeps saying it's going to rise, but yet it somehow never rises. And so between the Americans, the American failure to deal with the threat of the rising China and India's own problems. I, I think these tensions are, are are quite natural. And then this longstanding difference of opinion ab- about how American thinks that access to Pakistan is important and the Indians just think that we're, I think, and I have to say, I'm more sympathetic with the Indian view that we're simply indulging Pakistan and making it more dangerous. In the context of these larger strategic Differences. I think these regional differences are going to become imp- more important, especially as Deo Bundi terrorists, who've always co-located with the Taliban, begin their renewed offensives against India. And I'm going to guarantee you, the United States is going to give very little interest to what India experiences as a consequence of these decisions in Afghanistan.
0: Prakar, your opinion on all of that? It's a, it's a tall order, but... What do you see going forward in terms of these regional dynamics? Sure, uh, the big power dynamics.
2: So on that, I completely agree. I, the big power dynamics. Uh, I don't think that um, what happened in Afghanistan is dramatically going to alter the relations between India and the US. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, I've heard that so many times since I started studying Afghanistan that Afghanistan is just not important enough. For the U.S., it's Pakistan. That's Afghanistan, just a sideshow. Um, but for India, Afghanistan is extremely important, whether you look at it from the regional security perspective or the Pakistani perspective. So my sense is that yes, um, uh, the relationship will not change quite dramatically. The anchor for India-U.S. relations right now is China, not Afghanistan. Um, China's engagement with Taliban also would not alter those dynamics because U.S. has done exactly the same. Uh, if you look at it from a regional security perspective, and if India were to think of what betrayed the future of Afghanistan, it would be all the countries in the region, including the United States. Uh, so I I really don't think that what happened in Afghanistan over the last week and a half, two weeks, is going to significantly alter India-U.S. relations, their frustrations on both sides, both the country's history is littered with uh, bad intentions and unfulfilled promises. And I don't see that changing because of what happened in Afghanistan.
0: Okay, one last quick question. And, uh, and uh, Prakar, I'll ask you this first. There is a sort of um, thinking among many, many observers of the situation that the U.S. has suffered, a, you know, a, an erosion in its credibility. But given the fact that Pakistan, uh, that Afghanistan is not that important to the U.S. in the greater scheme of things is it also uh, not a good idea to underestimate the U.S.'s staying power?
2: I mean, I I, I find it, well, that's a good question. I, I just find it puzzling that the Americans would not want to keep 2,500 troops in Afghanistan when they're literally begging the Iraqis to allow 2,500 troops to remain there. Um, if the U.S. strike the deal with the Taliban, which they did, why did they have to honor that agreement way ahead of schedule and declare it publicly to not give your ostensible ally in the Afghan government any room for negotiation with the Taliban? So I think that on several levels, um, while we may debate on the merits of whether the U.S. should have stayed or not stayed, how the U.S. went about its exit is deeply problematic. Um, and I think there are um, there's uh, there's a deep mistrust among the Indian polity about the staying power of US in the region, and the fact that India looks at Afghanistan from the prism of Pakistan, but as does US. Um, and I think to a large extent, this just reinforces that perception that the US is not a partner to rely on in the long term, nor is the United Kingdom, but US definitely is not. And the regional stakeholders will have to figure out their own calibrations to respond to this situation. And I do think that among all the regional players, China, Iran, Russia, India, Pakistan, India seems to be the most vulnerable at this stage and also one which doesn't have a coherent strategy to deal with this mess in Afghanistan. And that's largely an offshoot of the fact that they haven't had a coherent strategy to deal with post-2001 Afghanistan in the first place.
0: Dr. Fair, last word uh, from you. Has the U.S. suffered you know, a blow to its credibility in the eyes of, you know, the, its its allies and friendly nations.
1: And there's going to be enormous consequences for this. Um, when Biden says that Afghanistan is not a sanctuary for Al-Qaeda or Islamic State, it's just rubbish. It is. The Taliban itself is a major terrorist organization. It is, in fact, the proxy of the Pakistani state. And what he has demonstrated in the last 10 weeks is that He's arrogant. I mean, what people don't appreciate, perhaps, is that this wasn't something that Trump foisted upon him. He actually wanted to do this when he was vice president. Uh, It's actually well known. There were significant arguments during one confrontation. He had even uh, referenced the fact that Kissinger and Nixon got away with worse, and so he would be able to get away with this. So this isn't something that Trump foisted upon him. He wanted to do this. He believed he was right. And leave aside the SIVs, the people that worked in our military, the who in our embassies. How about the civil society people who were the, the people with whom we worked to help create a different kind of Afghanistan? He has left them to fend for themselves. And I, I think not only is this gonna have strategic consequences, who will ever wanna work with us? This will have consequences abroad. And it will have consequences at home, and he deserves all of them.
0: Sadly, true. Okay, uh, Christine Fair Prakash Sharma, thank you once again at, at a very, very busy time for making time for Asian Insider. Thank you. All the best. Take care of them. Thank, thank you. Thank you. The Asian Insider podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A W E D I O like
2: us and rate us.